Hello, and welcome to Finding, sorry, FNF Self-Tapes. Um, and today is the third episode. Um, if it sounds like I'm talking really quiet, it is because it is 12.30 in the morning. Um, and my roommate is trying to get some sleep, like, a few doors that way. So I want to go ahead and say I'm sorry to Zach for this. If I, uh, if I keep him up, but, um, has to be done. I have to get this done. <laughs> Great roommate, right? Um, nevertheless, today we are here to discuss, uh, The Great Dictator from 1940. Uh, it is a movie by Charles Chaplin, uh, written and directed produced basically does a lot of most of everything um on this movie uh this was one of three of his talking pictures um i was turned on to this movie from watching his biopic with uh starring robert Downey jr that came out in 1992 um that me and trevor reviewed for the 19th episode of Finding New Films, um, the Friday show, and, um, honestly, we loved that movie, uh, it was by Richard Attenborough, or directed by Richard Attenborough, at least, um, and we both really enjoyed that movie, um, so, in, in The Great Dictator was featured pretty heavily in that movie, because it was one of, considerably one of his masterpieces, um, and for good reason. Um, this movie is absolutely incredible. Uh, for especially for when it is made, um, to give such a real, um, such a realness and raw, real feeling um, to the um, to the story, just kind of really added to it. Um, there's like a real, I've talked about it before on the, many of these podcasts, um, especially the older movies where I talk about around 1967 or eight, there's like a, a huge, um, shift in movies where the stories become more rooted in reality and, um, generally speaking, just the average day life of um of people is kind of displayed uh rather than you know just a a play meant for the uh the big screen um like a motion picture screen um <laughs> i guess a screen play if you will um but you know it's not a, a thing that is considered to be like um, very, like, in back in the day, I guess, what I'm trying to say is, um, like, they were never considered to be, uh, like, uh, like, true pieces of art, I guess, uh, and the emotion was never really able to, um, seep through, or it wasn't written, uh, 
you know, specifically in that way to give it that life that it needed um, to feel rooted in reality. Um, and how that change came about and, and why that change came about was kind of apparent from how open-minded people had started to become through the 60s and things of that nature. So, you know, the audience kind of demanded something that felt more real. Um, and so that's why around that time you start to notice movies feel more real. Um, and this suspension of disbelief came more that you could believe that this was a situation that happened rather than um, you kind of just watching people be good actors and tell a, a fun story. Because I feel like even in, back in the day, people were super aware that, like, actors were acting whereas now I think movies have progressed to a point where um, if an actor is and the movie is well written enough and directed well enough edited well enough that you could kind of just get lost and forget that you're watching a movie whereas it, I felt like it might have been a lot harder back in the day all that to say um this movie surprised me in its realness, in the way that it was able to be real, um, in its honesty towards the situation in Germany and in Italy. Um, and I, I, that's that's really all I <laughs> went into that big rant for, was just to kind of say that. Um, yeah, I, 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 I don't know. I just feel like this movie has such a, uh, a unique perspective in the way that it was able to be goofy throughout the movie and yet have one of the most inspirational speeches you'll ever hear. Um, by the end of the um, by the end of the movie, um, you know, and have it work still. I mean, that's one of the most passionate speeches in general I've ever seen. Um, and the fact that it doesn't feel forced and it feels like a genuine thing that that character would want to say in that moment. Um, and the way that the switch is done, uh, the, the way the character switch was done because they're both Charles Chaplin, the way that they did that was incredible, I thought. And, uh, I'll get into that later, um... I'm going to go ahead and do the credits real quick, and then I'm going to read the plot synopsis. This one's pretty long. Um, if you notice that I'm wearing the same thing that I am going to be wearing in the Friday episode, uh, the Promare episode, um, it is because this is being filmed actually after the Promare episode. Oh, there's a little bug in here. That's fun about to land on the camera fuck out of here um nevertheless <laughs> uh this is the credits um oh yeah I filmed the the promare episode before this with Omar um so check out that on Friday uh it's going to be the shortest episode <laughs> of finding new films um there was no break because I forgot to charge my camera that I'm now using um but 
there's going to be no break in the episode, and it's going to be pretty short because, frankly, uh, we, we didn't like the movie. Um, so if you would like to see that, go and watch that. We kind of complain about Promare for about 45 minutes. We don't. We felt like it was a little too much to like just continue to pile on to it, and there's not much to say. So, um, yeah. Anyway, go watch that, uh, and then now I'm about to do the credits for this episode. So, uh, the Great Dictator was released in 1940. Uh, it was released by Janus Films. The runtime on this movie was 125 minutes. Um, the writer was Charles Chaplin, director was Charles Chaplin, the editors were Willard Nico and uncredited Edgar Rice, um, the music of this film was done by Charles Chaplin and Meredith Wilson, who were both uncredited, and the camera work was done by Carl Struess and Roland Tothro. Um The stars of the film were Charles Chaplin and Paulette Goddard, his second wife. Um, <clears throat> and, uh, I learned that actually from Chaplin, the, uh, 1992 biopic. I actually learned it from that. Go figure, huh? <laughs> um, okay, okay. So the plot is as follows. On the Western Front in 1918, a Jewish soldier fighting for the Central Powers nation of Tomania valiantly saves the life of a wounded pilot, Commander Schultz, who carries valuable documents that could secure a Tomanian victory. However, after running out of fuel, their plane crashes into a tree and the private subsequently uh, suffers memory loss. Upon being rescued, Schultz is informed that Tamania has officially surrendered to the Allied forces while the private is carried off to a hospital. Twenty years later, still suffering from amnesia, the private returns to his previous profession as a barber in, in a ghetto. Uh, the ghetto is now governed by Schultz, who has been promoted to the Tamanian regime, uh, which transformed into a fascist dictatorship under the ruthless adenoid Hinkle. Uh, the barber falls in love with a neighbor, Hannah, and together they try to resist uh, persecution by military forces. The stormtroopers capture the barber and are about to hang him, but Schultz recognizes him and restrains them. By recognizing him and reminding him of World War I, Schultz helps the barber regain his memory. Meanwhile, Hinkle tries to finance his ever-growing military forces by borrowing money from a Jewish banker called Hermann Epstein. Um leading to a temporary ease on the restrictions on the ghetto. However, ultimately, the banker refuses to lend him the money. Furious, Hinkle per orders a purge of the Jews. Uh, Schultz's protest against the inhumane policy and it, sorry, Schultz protests against this inhumane policy and is sent to the concentration camp. He escapes and hides to, in, uh, in the ghetto with the barber. Schultz tries to persuade the Jewish family to assassinate Hinkle in a suicide attack, but they are dissuaded by Hannah. Troops search the ghetto, arrest Schultz and the barber, and send both to a concentration camp. Hannah and her family flee to uh, freedom in a vineyard in the neighboring country of Austerlich. Hinkle has a dispute with the dictator of the nation, Bacteria, um, Benzino Napoloni, 
over which country should invade Austerlitz. The two dictators argue over a treaty to govern the invasion while dining together in an elaborate buffet, which happens to provide uh, a jar of English mustard. This quarrel becomes heated and descends into a food fight, which is only resolved uh, when both men eat hot mustard and are shocked into cooperating. After signing the treaty with Napoloni, Hinkle orders the invasion of Austerlitz. Hannah and her family are trapped by the invading force and beaten by a squad of arriving soldiers. Escaping from the camp in stolen uniforms, Schultz and the barber, dressed as Hinkle, arrive at the Austerlitz frontier, where a victory parade crowd is waiting to be addressed by Hinkle. The real Hinkle is mistaken for the barber while out duck hunting in civilian clothes and is knocked out and taken to the camp. Schultz tells the barber to go to the platform to impersonate Hinkle and as the only way to save their lives once they reach Austerlitz's capital. Uh, the barber has never given a public speech in his life, but he has no other choice. He announces that he, as Hinkle, has a change of heart. He makes an impassioned speech for brotherhood and goodwill, encouraging soldiers to fight for liberty and unite the people in the name of democracy. He then addresses a message of hope to Hannah. Look up, Hannah. Sorry, quotes. Look up, Hannah. The soul of man has been given wings, and at last he is beginning to fly. He is flying into the rainbow of light, of hope, into the future, the glorious future that belongs to you, to me, and to all of us, unquote. Hannah hears the barber's voice on the radio, and she turns towards the rising sunlight and says to her fellow citizens, quote-unquote, listen. And that was The Great Dictator. So, um, it even reads really well as a great story, and <laughs> as just like a plot synopsis. Um, and I think it's a really, really good story. thought it was really well-written really well thought out um genuinely it makes me wish that um that charles chaplin didn't have such a um such a strong um ah fuck what's the word i always do this such a strong um hesitation to do talking films because honestly i really enjoyed this film um, although I will say a lot of the comedic highlights do happen with his, um, just uncanny ability to perform, um, physical comedy. Uh, he's so good, um, as a stuntman, as a, uh, you know, it's just a physical actor. He's so good at, at controlling his body. Um, in a lot of these scenes where he is um, tasking himself with performing these stunts and um, it, it plays really well. He's, he's so funny um, when he's just allowing himself to, to be physical in it. Um, so that was, that was a really cool thing to see throughout the whole movie. I just, in general, his whole performance is really good, so... Um, I guess I can get that out of the way. I, I really enjoyed his performance. Now, do I think he's a weirdo for grooming, you know, Goddard? Yes. <laughs> and I want to completely make that clear um, throughout this, is that I don't think he's necessarily a uh, a moral rich person, um, but I enjoy that his... Um, performance in this movie was was good <laughs> and that's all I will say uh, on that front 
um, because he is a very questionable um, human being on the on the uh, sense of his uh, choice in women. So, yeah. Anyhow, um, I have some thoughts here that I'm going to get into. Oh, actually, I'm going to do the themes really quick. I've only got a few. Uh, I'm going to actually stop, like, doing, like, 50 things because I'm realizing that I'm not doing themes. I'm kind of just, like, naming every idea that is touched on in the movie, and I don't think that's very productive, and it, it takes up time. Anyways... Uh, the themes I have for this, uh, I have companionship as salvation, I have the evils of racism, I have the complications of nationalism, I have self-preservation slash self-reliance, I have will to survive, and working class struggles. Um, and I would say genocide would probably be another one. Um, not to trivialize it or anything. It would it would be a part of it, um, yeah. That's really all I have to say about the themes. I'm just gonna name them. <laughs> uh, so for the thoughts, <clears throat> these are my thoughts. My glorious, um, glorious, glorious, coveted thoughts. Um, <laughs> uh, anyway. Um, so my first thought here is some classic wartime physical humor. I think what I meant by that was, um, there was a scene where, uh, where a tank shot a, a, a cannon, or I guess it's main, uh, gun, and it just kind of, like, plopped out. That was pretty funny, and I'm pretty sure there was just other stuff, like him getting hit on the head or something. Um... Head trauma was fucking hilarious in the 1940s, supposedly. I mean, it's <laughs> judging from this movie, I can tell that the people just ate that shit up. Um, all you had to do was hit somebody in the head and have them wobbly. And they're just like, oh my god. That idiot. <laughs> That's really what it feels like, though, in like half of these scenes. It really feels like a lot of the people in the scenes, you know, just get knocked on the noggin, and that's where a lot of the comedy comes from, just getting bonked on the head. It is pretty funny. Um, <laughs> I liked the CGI of the plane. I thought that was really fun, um, just seeing 1940s CGI. Uh, really cool. Um, <laughs> it was pretty bad. Um, it was pretty, uh, what's the word? It, I mean, it just looked childish, you know? It was, but it was funny. It was funny to see what people thought was cool or thought would look cool. But maybe it was only trying to look cool. Um, because this movie tries to be pretty goofy overall. Uh, so I don't know. Um, it was campy. I liked it. Anyways, uh, I enjoyed the rally scene. I thought it was really textbook satire. 
um, him speaking German and making fun of the way they uh, use like yeah, yeah, you know, and just very sharp consonant sounds, um, you know, and just um, overall having like uh, just a funny just kind of a funny cadence genuinely they just have a really funny cadence and way of speaking and um maybe that's just the american me just kind of <laughs> being just being a dumbass and being like they talk funny um but you know it is what it is I, it's funny it's, it's goofy it's, it's just funny it's just funny it just is um I enjoyed Gable's um being called air garbage that was fun really enjoyed that um couldn't couldn't have said it better myself he he was a piece of garbage um There's a scene in there where, um, the, I'm pretty sure one of the, uh, one of the Jews in the movie, one of the Jewish people in the movie was, um, was talking to, like, an upper member of the, um, I don't even remember what they called each other, called themselves the, the army. Anyways, the, I think they were talking to the stormtroopers. <laughs> and it was, uh, he was like, hey, what was that thing that he said? And it was just like glossed over the very intense, like, um, oh, no, 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 no. This is what it was. He was, uh, it was translation from, um, <laughs> from the national media uh and Hinkle was saying that like he just went into this super intense rage filled thing about Jewish people <laughs> and the translator just goes uh the Fuhrer has referred to the Jewish people <laughs> and it was that was really funny I thought that was really fun um are really funny. It was really ironic. Um, it was it just did a really good job of satirizing what this would look like to other people, um, you know, who aren't German, obviously, because that's obviously what it's mocking. Don't be a J. Edgar Hoover and think this movie is about America, which I know he doesn't think that. Uh, that's just dumb. But like, uh. Or that would be naive to think, but um, that that's mainly this movie actually is something that got him kicked out of America, um, because J. Edgar Hoover, um, noted piece of shit, notorious piece of shit, um, J. Edgar Hoover, uh, was on on kind of had a vendetta against Charles Chaplin and used this film as evidence. Uh, against his anti-patriotism 
um, and tried to call him a communist for this movie. If it's communist to not be a racist and not want to get killed by the police, I guess I'm a communist. Anyways, um, that's going to be great to have on film when the United States ultimately just takes over. Uh, I, I noted the line where Julia Goddard says, if I were a man, I would fight you all. I think a more endearing thing may have been to just let her fight. Um, I digress. Uh, <laughs> the sink being completely covered in cobwebs being... Uh, one of the things that told Chaplin's character uh, of the barber that um, that a bunch of time had passed it was a really funny way of doing that. I uh, I found that to be really funny for some reason. Um, and then yeah, just knowing that he groomed uh, Julia Goddard made this kind of creepy to watch a little bit. Um, Moving on. Uh, <laughs> I uh, really enjoyed the... I think his name is Mr... Hold on, I think I... No, I don't. His name is Mr... Mr... Something. I don't remember. It was the old man, though, that was in the barbershop a lot. He says... Uh, he says to... The barber, believe me, you don't appreciate what a good time you were having, referring to the time where he was in a coma, um, and saying that he was probably better off to be in a coma because he didn't have to watch the rise of, of Hinkle, um, which I thought was a nice little dose of irony. Um, and then right after that, uh, when he leaves and tells Hannah that she should let uh, the barber work on her to see if he can, you know, start styling women because the business is going slow because of the fascism. Um, she says something about uh, not being able to save money and um you know she kind of lives to every dime that she's um uh, that she makes meaning like you know she spends all the money that she makes uh but she has this line that i really enjoyed she says you're here today you're gone tomorrow and then where are you i thought that was really cute really cute line um and then the barber tries to shave her face as a way of, um, a way of flirting, and I thought that was really cute, too. And then they use a jump cut, uh, for a makeover, and she's convinced that she's beautiful now. Um, because, you know, she'd only be beautiful if a man made her that way. <laughs> I did not like that part of it. Uh, I'm glad they used a jump cut, um, because I didn't really want to see that. And honestly, just kind of reductive overall. That was they kind of took away from me uh, for this movie as well. But we need to go into the break real quick. Um, I'm gonna honestly just 
turn the camera off and right back on. Um, and we'll finish it out. Okay, and welcome back to the show. <laughs> welcome back to the next segment. Welcome to the next segment. Anyway, um, English is hard. Um, when we left off, we were talking about how women are oppressed in Hollywood, and especially in the 1950s, 40s. Um, it's just kind of weird to have it be like, oh yeah, I, I can't fight because I'm a woman. And then it, to have it be like, uh, you know, I'm ugly. Or, you know, I'm you're going to make me beautiful. How are you going to make me beautiful? Uh, yeah. Yike. Didn't like it. Didn't like it. Didn't like it. But, you know, that was kind of just society and culture. Um, so I kind of just have to take it into consideration when you're watching something like this and yeah um where am i okay i have hingle running from garbage and scaling the drapes was pretty absurd uh, that, that was uh that was something i was not expecting where he just like goes he he grabs onto the drapes and the drapes kind of like carry him up it was really odd um, was not really expecting that at all, <laughs> but it was, it was pretty funny. Um, I really enjoyed that scene where he's dancing with the, the globe in his hands, and then he squeezes it too hard and it pops. Um, thought that was really cool, thought the symbolism was nice. Um, and you know, when you see these scenes that are just simply accompanied with music, um, where it's just kind of him able to so act in his very physical, comedic way on top of like, you know, um, on top of like being able to tackle such a strong subject. Um, I don't know. It just makes you kind of depressed that he didn't make more uh, talking films. Because even if he's just going to do a silent movie in the way that it's all music and he doesn't speak, I think that could have even worked. Even if, if he didn't want to, you know, if he didn't want to, um, like if he didn't want to talk, he was afraid of talking, not afraid, but like he didn't like it. Then, like, you know, we can just do... Like, this movie was so good with so many silent parts and silent scenes where it's just kind of him working his, you know, silent movie magic. And, I don't know. I just feel like it's so... It was. It would have been so easy for him to just cash in on that. So, for him to walk away, he must have had such a, like, really strong feelings for this. Um, so, kind of just interesting to me. Um, you know, but nevertheless. I enjoyed the, uh, the, like, even this. This is a perfect example of what I was just talking about. Um, he was, the physical humor in the scene where he is shaving the face of the man 
and he does it to the tune of the orchestra. It was so funny. Like, it was, I don't know if it was, like, ha, 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 hilarious, but it was, like, you know, a, uh, it was cute, you know? Um, I don't know. It was just really cute, and I, he, he could have done so much more just like it, and I think it would have been perfectly fine, but if he feels that way, I guess it's, you know, it's gonna have to be fine now. He's been dead for, you know, 30 years, 40 years. Anyways, Jesus, I found the most morbid way to segue that. Um, my next line, next note here says, is a is a line from the movie. It's quote, "You're so used to bad times, you that you're miserable without them," and that was a line, two lines that were spoke between the two elderly men that were kind of just they had like a few segments where they just were shown and they were talking about the stuff that was in the newspaper and stuff like that um <clears throat> so really um really just a good scene i enjoyed their presence in the movie um just kind of give you like a a sense of like what a general citizen thinks of like the moral you know, the moral ineptitude of, uh, of the, the faux Nazis, so to speak. I don't know what they're called. I forgot. Um, my next note here says Chaplin is incredible at facial expression and controlling his body. We've already talked about that. My next one says everyone waiting for them while they leave for the date was really creepy. I didn't get that. Um, they kind of all, like, stood around, like, oh my god, we're so proud of the two people going on a date. Really weird. Um, and that's kind of what I meant with the realism thing. That was, like, a very weird scene in general. <laughs> Didn't like it. But, uh, yeah, I guess it, it played nice because the movie was really goofy, but... Um, his dive into the barrel was really impressive. Um, there's one point where he like dives head first into a barrel and is like cut off like at the waist. Really funny. Um, he does the same, a similar thing to the chest. Um, later in the movie when he thinks that the uh, basically the SS are coming and uh he jumps in this chest and then he gets out of it when he realizes that it's just her man and then uh, and then he <laughs> hears the door they all hear the door get knocked on like really loudly and then all of the men are trying to <laughs> get into the chest um, after her man uh, had left and spotted SS troops on the way to the to the house so um that was really funny I really enjoyed that um my next note here says um the score of the movie was really nice when it was there um there is a lot of parts of this movie that are kind of just silent 
but um, the parts where they have like the little pieces of score, I thought that was still really nice, um, and it played well. You know, there was obviously the scene where he was um, shaving that man's face to the tune of the orchestra, and that was funny, and that's something that he would have never been able to do with a uh, a silent film, so it's cool to see him be able to do that and use physical comedy with the ability to use um, audio and, you know, just the way that the score was implemented in general. Um, it made the ending scene really dramatic. Um, it's just really good. A lot of the music in this movie was really well done. Um, it's it had more than last week. Portrait of a Lady on Fire. That was like almost the movie's almost silent. Um, and really only had the two scenes. Um, with music, the one where she plays the harpsichord. Uh, to four seasons, and then obviously we watch four seasons. Uh, get performed by an orchestra at the at the precipice of that film. So, um, there's more in this movie. There's definitely more music. Uh, it just, it's kind of like varies from scene to scene and kind of varies on like how loud it is too. But there's only like two scenes that really prominently use the music. Uh, this is the very end scene and then the, the one scene with the, the barber. Um, but I just thought the music altogether was really good. Well done. Um, and Chaplin himself did it, so impressive. Um, <laughs> there's a soldier who gets hit in the head with a pan um, twice or three times in the beginning of the movie, uh, which is kind of like a goofy thing where he keeps... Everybody else is fine, and he just keeps getting hit in the head with a pan. And then later on in the movie, she hits him in the head with a pan again, uh, and it's only him that gets hit. And honestly, that was so funny. It made me laugh so hard. I laughed, like, pretty hard. Um, yeah. The uh, the whole scene with them eating the cake and trying to figure out who's going to be the suicide bomber was really funny. Because um, obviously none of them want to do that. And uh, just the way it was all played, the physical humor of it all was really good. Um, and I enjoy that scene being played for comedy because if it were serious, it would feel like really weird. <laughs> they're all like eating and they're like, I don't, I don't want to, that would be really, really odd if it were like a serious tone. So I'm glad this movie honestly has its super satirical undertone because I, it, it would have never survived any other way. Um, <laughs> the, the way they all say good night. Uh, as they're trying to get out of the suicide bombing situation, um, where they all like stand up all at the same time, and they all like bow and say good night all at the same time. They're like, what is this about? Good night. Just thought it was really fun. Scurrying out as they all narrowly escape death. Um, this film is just really well structured, I think. Uh, the direction was really um, well done, and I think it was kind of the perfect length. Um, 
I wouldn't have made it any longer, any shorter. I think this was perfect. Um, you could maybe say it could drop like 10 minutes or so. Uh, but I would be a nitpick in my opinion. So I'm not going to do that. I think it was fine. I think the length was pretty fine. And for a movie from 1940, it's moving at a pretty brisk pace that is comparable to modern movies. Um, and I don't ever really feel like there's a scene that's being wasted or feels like it's filling time or anything like that. So that's refreshing. I enjoyed the train car scene. Um, I thought that was funny, where they couldn't figure out where the train was going to stop to roll out the red carpet for basically Benito Mussolini. And, um, yeah, just goofy, fun stuff. And then <laughs> when they left the wife behind of uh, Mussolini, that was also very funny, where they're like, hey, get back, get back, woman. She's like, I'm her, I'm his wife. <laughs> like, like what? I'm, I'm his wife. And then later he apologizes for it. And he's like, ah, she just doesn't know. She doesn't get out much. Like, that is, that is so funny to me. But anyway, um, Yeah. I uh, love how consistent the tone throughout the whole movie was. Um, just this constant, goofy satire. I, I felt like it was so um, so refreshing for the movie, and I feel like any other interpretation of the movie would have made it feel like so depressing. Um, so I think it's a really good way of picking people's spirits up by kind of taking the shit out of the situation and then offering like your true feelings about the situation as the character in the very end um as the barber in the very end and I um I just it was I thought it was like so well done that's really all I can say I know that sounds dense but I really, I really just find it to be kind of the perfect ending for the movie, um, and it lands really well. I think it plays really well, I think it makes a lot of sense. It's just really awesome, and I would say this movie honestly reminds me of, like, a Monty Python-esque, um, sort of, um... you know, a Monty Python-esque satire. Um, and you can definitely tell that they pull from Charlie Chaplin as inspiration. And if they don't, then they're, then whoever they pull from, their inspiration is Charlie Chaplin. So, nevertheless, um, just a really good movie, honestly, in my whole honest opinion. Um, I enjoyed them trying to bow their chests out while they were dealing with the heat of eating English mustard. How hot is English mustard? Are they both just, like, crackers? Or... Yeah, I don't know. Um, I thought the tanks coming out of the hay bales was pretty funny. And, um... Yeah. Ooh, this was a fun thought. 
um, <clears throat> Adenoid Hinkle getting taken to the concentration camp kind of like jotted my memory a little bit and it kind of gives me a little bit of a new perspective on the film Inglorious Bastards. Um, because I remember, I mean, not from the time, because I, I was not watching Inglorious Bastards in 2009. I would have been nine years old. Um, but I watched the movie after the fact, obviously, and um, I enjoyed that movie a lot. And a lot of people give the movie's ending shit. Uh, if you haven't seen that movie, spoiler alert. But at the end of the movie, um, Adolf Hitler is murdered uh, by two Jewish men who are part of a uh, a Jewish death squad, basically, that was going around killing Nazis. And um, a lot of people get that movie shit for killing Hitler and creating like a really false, um, just an interpretation, of, or not interpretation, but a really false story of what happened. And it kind of felt like it was... And people just didn't like it. It didn't sit with them. And um, seeing how this movie ends kind of just makes me feel reinforced in the idea that I had when I first heard those ideas, which is, shut up. Um, yeah. If I want to, like... <laughs> if I really wanted to, like, envision what I would want from a movie, like, killing the, <laughs> the fascist at the very end would be a great way, number one. And then number two, like, why can we not just, why can't we just pretend? Why can't we just pretend that we get to kill this horrible person? Because, like, they don't really deserve to be treated with respect they're out spewing hatred and bigotry and they don't re deserve respect and I think that's what a lot of um, right wing and conservative minded people uh, kind of just don't really they're either you know they either don't understand um, because they're being naive or they're being facetious but nevertheless um just just fuck off <laughs> like <laughs> just let us have interpretations of how to kill these bastards it's really it's really it I would like to see all fascists receive the you know Hinkle's treatment or what he's about to receive um, at the concentration camp and the idea of him going there is really fun and I like it and I like to think about it <laughs> alright that's enough of that uh, I, in the speech at the end of this movie it's just kind of iconic um, I've heard it before uh, it's kind of the reason why when I watched the biopic it kind of push me further to be like okay let's just watch the movie because I've seen the speech at the end and I was like ah, let's, let's just go for it uh, and it is just beautiful it's a great speech and he looks directly at camera because he wanted people to 
feel that he was talking directly to them, and I really enjoyed it. I even enjoyed uh, Ava's little speech at the end as well. Um, just a great way to wrap this movie. It's such a goofy movie. It's such a beautiful ending. Um, and it kind of just ties a big bow on the on the end of the movie. Um, yeah. But I think that's really it for my thoughts. Um, that was my last thought. So we're going to get it on the listo now. Um, if you watch on Friday, I uh, I didn't notice, but I had been trying to watch uh, the UFC fight um, from last night. And I was having some trouble. <laughs> uh, and so I had a bunch of pop-up ads on um on my screen that I didn't know and my computer was acting like a maniac earlier when we filmed the episode that's coming out on Friday and uh I'm just very happy right now that it kind of pulled up with no with no what's it called no um fight I guess I don't know what else to say. Anyways, I think some of you may have already seen what I gave the film, so I'm just going to go ahead and say it. I gave this movie an 8.4. I did not do this consciously uh, to make this better than The Wrestler. Um, But yeah, this movie is going to go down as number two. Um, As of recording this, I think that's fair, honestly. I don't... I don't really know. I, the wrestler in the, this movie is going to be hard to to um, compare really to anything. Um, so you know, could I say this is fair? Yes. Do I think I know what I'm talking about? If I would say that, no. So uh, we're just going to leave it there. Um, <laughs> the great dictator. Uh, 8.4, number 2, Above the Wrestler, In Between the Wrestler, and Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Fire. Um, But yeah, that's really it. That's really all I have to say about uh, The Great Dictator. So, um, if you notice that uh, I'm wearing the same outfit as the Friday episode, that's because I recorded that earlier. I think I've already said that. If I didn't, I just said it again. If I didn't, I just said it for the first time. Um, So yeah, be on the lookout for that. Omar and I talk about uh, how disappointed we are in the movie Pro Mare, uh, which is a anime drama. And then uh, if you tune in next week, episode four... I am pretty sure we are going to be watching Malcolm X. Yep. Episode 4, we are going to be watching Malcolm X next weekend. Or next Monday, rather. Uh, We are going to be watching Malcolm X from 1992. Um, And that will be uh, as a way for me personally to kind of delve into... Um, black history just for uh, honoring Juneteenth and 
everything like that. I feel like it's the least I can do. Um, I was originally going to be watching a, uh, I was going to be watching the new Wes Anderson movie, um, because it is due to come out this weekend, and I originally had planned for that, and I thought it would be a little, um, a little fucked up for me to do that on Juneteenth, so I have instead pivoted to watching Spike Lee's biopic of the, um, very famous civil rights activist and communist, um, Malcolm X, portrayed by Denzel Washington. So uh, I'm very excited for that because that movie has been long um, in my list of movies that I've wanted to watch. So I'm happy to do it. And uh, yeah, (laughs) uh, I think that's basically it for this episode. Um, I was about to read, as I have now... um, figured out what my whole list for the whole year of self-tapes is because I just wanted to kind of go ahead and get that out of the way um so I've got all these great movies honestly uh just kind of sitting around waiting for you to hear what I'm gonna be watching but next week it's gonna be Malcolm X and then I guess I'll just tell you the rest of June because there's only two more after this um the next week will be Malcolm X that'll be June the 19th and then um, the week after that, June the 26th, uh, we're going to be doing Near Dark, which I am pretty sure is directed by Catherine Bigelow. Let me make sure of that. <laughs> I'm not going to leave on a... Yes, Catherine Bigelow. This is Catherine Bigelow's first movie. Um, more famously known for, I'm pretty sure, movies like... Hold on, let me let me say that correctly, too. I want to be correct. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Um, Near Dark, Point Break, Strange Days, K-19, The Widowmaker, Her Locker, Zero Dark Thirty, Detroit. Um, movies of that sort. Uh, this is her first film that she directed. It is a horror film from 1987 called Near Dark. Um, so I'm going to be really interested in watching that. And... Uh, That'll be June the 26th, so be on the lookout for that. And I think, um, so this upcoming week on Finding New Films, we're going to be watching um, Promare, the anime drama, and the week after that, uh, if everything goes to plan, I'm pretty sure Preston is going to be here to be watching Blood Symbol, um, which is the Coen Brothers' first movie from 1984. Um, it's a, fo- a gangster film. Um, about the Irish mom. So, that should be fun as well. Um, tune in to all of that. Um, we are sorry for not having a episode of Greg and Jeff give the hi-hat this past week. We had some technical difficulties that we needed to figure out before we put out another episode. Uh, if you listen to the first episode, we have a lot of audio, um, cut in, cut out, so... Don't want to deliver that as a consistent product for you guys. Um, so we are working on that. And hopefully on uh, this upcoming Sunday uh, around midnight, they like to do their uh, their releases Sunday at midnight, um, an hour after Saturday Night Live. My dad and my uh, godfather, Greg, have always been huge fans of Saturday Night Live. So... 
it it has uh is not lost on me by any means so um that is why i think i've said i don't know why they uh they like doing that but that is why they like doing that if anybody is still here i know nobody is watching this at this point but if you are i appreciate it and uh Go like this video, subscribe to this video if you're watching on YouTube, if you're listening on Spotify or any of the other Spotify or any of the other Spotify streaming platforms, or Spotify or any other streaming platform. Just uh, follow the show, give us a rate, thumbs up. This I don't know, whatever you can do on your little app, just do it. I don't know how it all works, but thank you. Um. And I hope to see you again soon. Bye, everybody.